Welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lumen. On this show, we talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think for themselves and do things a little bit differently. We hope these guests will challenge you to look at your farms and ranches in a new way and result in a more profitable and enjoyable business for you and your family. Welcome back to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Today, Kit Farrow is going to join me again and talk about the article he wrote in his weekly PCC update a few weeks ago about diversification. It made a lot of sense to me, and so I wanted to bring him on to discuss it. So thanks, Kit, so much for joining me, and welcome back to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Thank you, Jared. I always enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, no, me too. And and this is a topic I guess I've been interested in a lot lately, having conversations with people as diversification. Um, and and you wrote a kind of a neat article that, again, people should sign up for your update if they want to get those kinds of articles. And you can do that on feralcattle.com. But uh, why don't you talk a little bit about maybe what you wrote in that article or what your thoughts are on the idea of diversification? Okay. Well, I, I started out the, the article with uh, the quote or the uh, uh, proverb that says, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And, and you know, we've we've heard that for, I heard it ever since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. And I think it warns us against investing, putting all of our resources into a single venture or single enterprise, because that, you know, that uh, puts us at risk of losing everything we have if that one enterprise goes bad. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that in agriculture, you know, there's a lot of talk about diversification. I think uh, many of the so-called experts are, are recommending it, you know, instead of uh, just producing one product. You know, why not produce two or three or four or five products? And then I kind of got into that. You know, I I disagree with that for the most part. You know, I would not suggest anybody diversify simply for the reason of diversification. You know, that doesn't just be, you know, it it doesn't make it right. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, I think it can do more harm than good. And my logic there is that if I'm spreading my energy and my time, uh, my resources on several different things, I'm probably not doing a great job at any one thing. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe some people can do that better than I can. But over the years, I've found that, you know, I'm I'm very good at one or two things. And there's a lot of other things I, I, I could tackle. But. I just don't want to spread myself any thinner, you know, especially unless I know it's going to pay off. Mm-hmm. So uh, I heard a uh, Warren Buffett quote many, many years ago, and I think uh, Alan Nation with the Stockman Grass Farmer quoted it when I first heard it. But it, Buffett says diversification is a protection against ignorance. Mm-hmm. It makes very little sense for those who know what they're doing. And uh, that I understand. You, you know, if I'm very good at what am I what I'm doing, and I don't need to diversify. I'm already good at what I'm doing. Now, there may be other people that are just half good at one thing, and you know, maybe they need to need to add add another enterprise. But in my mind, that's not the right thing to do. Look seems to me like diversification, in an ag producer, you know, now if I if I've got uh, let's say I've got beef and I, I throw in range chickens, 
<laughs> and uh, now I've got to learn, you know, something about chickens that, you know, I've never studied chicken nutrition or chicken anything, but I've got to learn all that before I can, you know, re really be a success. And, and that takes away from my, my seed stock program, which, you know, I think, you know, after 30 years, I know what I'm doing there. I, uh, you know, we're helping a lot of customers there, but I do know, and I got to thinking about this earlier this morning in anticipation of this, this podcast, but we had a producer in Texas that had registered Angus cows and he got off into, uh, range chickens. And within two years, he sold the cows and he's hundred percent chicken business. And, and I guarantee you, you know, when you talk about pounds and profit per acre, he makes every beef rancher in the nation look bad. <laughs> but, you know, to, to, to me, he he knows how to make that work. Why would he keep messing around with a bunch of cows that weren't doing the job for him? So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I probably wouldn't. I'd probably go the other direction. But that, that's just an example of uh, spreading your resources a little bit too thin. Yeah. And, and I've had this discussion kind of with people too, even within the, the beef industry specifically, kind of, I guess the range chicken and the cow, you know, that's an example similar to like within beef alone, there's three different enterprises you could be involved in the cow calf, the backgrounder and the finisher market. And a lot of times people are involved in all three. They retain ownership of the animal the whole way three, through because maybe their cow calf enterprise by itself is not profitable. And the only way they can show a profit at the end of the year is if they you know, take it through the entire life cycle and they don't know where the profit came in, which enterprise the profit came in, but they can be profitable by owning it through the whole thing. And in reality, that's kind of like you're saying, a, a hedge or a protection against ignorance. You don't really know you're ignorant of where the profit centers are, how to make one particular enterprise profitable. And so instead you diversify into all three branches of this cattle industry and spread your risk over all three. And you probably giving up some profit in one area and making some in another in an ideal world, you'd figure out where your profits made and focus on that. Like the guy did with his chickens. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you study your enterprises, you know, I, probably everybody's a little bit diversified, but if you look at your farming operation, your hay operation, your land investment, your cow, cow, calf operation, your feedlot, you know, find out where the money's coming from and focus on that. But at the same mm -hmm. time, maybe you wouldn't make money in this enterprise if it wasn't for the other enterprise coming together with it. Mm -hmm. But, but a lot of times, you know, we're just shooting a shotgun out there hoping that something's going to work, you know, all the time. And uh, you, you, you know, you do need to know where your, where your best money is coming from. Yeah. And, and that kind of makes me think too of, you know, if you've got, if you're taking an enterprise and spreading it into multiple kind of enterprises, you know, you're kind of, say you got a cow calf and a finisher, you know, market and stuff. And because of that, now you can run fewer cows or fewer finishers, but you need the overhead for both. And so, you know, alternatively, you could have less overhead and more cows or less overhead and more finishers, but now you need less finishers, less cows and more overhead, more total overhead. And so it's from a business perspective too, you're kind of spreading your resources more thin and right. yeah, it, it can be a kind of a damage there. I think if you, you know, if I would venture out into another ag, ag production line, you know, let's say chickens, 
or uh, pork or whatever, you know, I can't do that without investing in some infrastructure, uh, equipment and overhead. And, uh, you know, I, you can't use the same thing that you're using with one enterprise for all enterprises. Now, if you could, you know, that, that's a different story. But mm-hmm. anytime I invest in equipment and infrastructure and overhead, th- there's just no return. I mean, you know, those things are necessary, but there's no return on my money. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I have to be real careful what I'm doing there. Yeah. No, that kind of makes me think of, I think it's Joel Salatin. Salatin, I, I don't remember where I, if I read it in his book or something, or he talks about, or maybe it was, it was a, a Land, Livestock and Life by Alan Nation, but he talks about Joel Salatin's uh, mindset on kind of diversification. And, and I think he calls them holons or something that is an enterprise that complements the other one. Uh, like he had his pastor chickens and rather than mowing down the grass in front of them, he brought in cows to graze them and took uh, what would have been an expense for another one and turned it into a profit center for in, in some holons, they got dropped because the return wasn't high enough to justify the, you know, the extra hassle. He recognized that there is downsides to that diversification that needs to produce a certain level of income to right. justify the work. Yes. Solitin would be a, a really good example of diversification done well you know, <laughs> and doing it well we think yeah yeah you know who knows i mean if he would bring things together down to one or two enterprises you know he may do be do may do twice as well as he's doing now mm-hmm. but I, I think a lot of young producers will look at joe salatin as an example and that's a very good example to look at but not everybody can be that spread out, spread that thin and, and make, make a profit doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's tough because, uh, well, I, I mean, we've noticed it even here. We, we started direct marketing and thought this will be great. We've got this market. If we've got this market already tapped, we can sell them. They're going to want beef. The same people that want beef are going to want pork and chicken and lamb and honey and all this other stuff. And we'll be able to make a ton of money and produce all these things. But we realized pretty quickly after just adding chicken that we don't have the labor resources and the time and the mental bandwidth to be able to manage all these different enterprises. And so we've looked to just kind of outsource some of the production of those things to focus on our marketing. The marketing is where the money's made. We don't need to be in the production right. of every product. Yeah, I, I thought of the, the little venture you and your wife have uh, direct marketing food to the customer. And I didn't know how diversified you were, but it sounds like you've you you went out and then you're pulled back in and Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, that's, that's probably a good way of doing it. If you and somebody else, if you can work with somebody else that's good at what they do, you're good at what you do. And uh, the marketing guy in the middle, you know, pulls it all together, which mm-hmm. is you. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I see people like you thinking like you started out and saying, well, you know, we're selling grass fed organic beef or whatever. Let's do some pork and let's throw in some chickens. Let's let's uh, do some vegetables. Let's do this and that. And before long, none. You know, you're you're doing a half. <laughs> you're doing everything half right. Yeah. And nothing yeah. T- totally right. Yeah. And, and that's real easy to get caught up in that. You know, I've mm-hmm. in a similar situation. You know, we we uh, we market bulls. We produce bulls here on our place. We also have cooperative producer herds 
And uh, all of that, I know you, we've been, been doing it for so long. I know how to make that work. I know how to produce the best bulls we can in many different environments. And I will have every now and then I start thinking or somebody makes me think, you know, well, as long as you're doing that, why don't we do something with our open heifers? Why don't we do something over here or grass finishing? And mm -hmm. somebody could make millions of dollars doing those things. Mm -hmm. But I, if I started doing, trying to do that right, I'd be doing something wrong somewhere else. And, and I can't do it, but there's a, those potentials are there and always will be. I, I think uh, pr probably the one thing, you know, one reason to diversify and you kind of hit on it earlier, Warren Buffett did, you, you know, if, if you're average at whatever you're doing, if you're average and you don't even know where your profit is being generated, diversification might be for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you, you can't take one, one production ag production and say, okay, I'm going to focus right on this because this is what I'm good at. If you're not good at it, you're not good at it. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm afraid there's a lot of farmers and a lot of ranchers that are pretty much average. I mean, that's just the way the world we, we, we revolve around average. Some are better than average, some are worse. And if you're below average, you know, you probably need, need another, you know, you need to put a couple eggs in another basket. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you can get really good at one thing, you don't need to put those eggs over there. You know what you're doing. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I, uh, Warren Buffett, because you brought him up, I think he talks a lot about <clears throat> thinking about if you had a punch card for how many investments, you need 10 punches. Every time you make an investment, there goes a punch. And when you're done with those 10 punch cards or those 10 punches, that's all the investments you get to make for the rest of your life. If we looked at our business models like that, instead of just running around trying whatever sounds like it's got a neat opportunity, I'll jump into finish and I'll jump into background. I'll jump into this and you buy all this stuff that you need. But if you really looked at it intentionally and thought, I've only got five decisions that I can make in my life and my business, what are those five decisions going to be? And you think really intentionally about them. And that's the way I think we all should run our businesses is intentionally, yeah. but, uh, but maybe we're not. And maybe that's because we have the freedom to make decisions. But I, I like that kind of perspective from Warren too, about making intentional decisions with our businesses as if you only have the ability to make a small amount of decisions so that everyone is it's going to count exactly it's going to count yeah yeah I, I had not heard that i appreciate you sharing that but uh the fear is is that too many people in ag today are average and they're afraid to do anything different that gets them above average mm. and, and that's uh you know, I, I'm I'm going to venture a guess that 98% of your podcast listeners are not average. Mm -hmm. They're above average. You know, they're they're not afraid to learn. They're not afraid to try something different. And, and but they're they're the exception to the rule, and they're going to make money off of the people that refuse to change. You know, that's a that's a sad commentary, but. Uh, I think that the, definitely the way it is in agriculture, you know, we, mm -hmm. it's a commodity business and everything revolves around average. <laughs> if you're average, you're, you're break even. Yeah. If you can create something because of a unique way you're doing it, make that better instead of trying to spread yourself out. Yeah. Yeah. And 
and this idea of being willing to shift probably makes a good point and stuff too, is that, uh, you know, if you focus in on one enterprise and the, uh, the market, the times change, like you saw the times change when your father, you know, I mean, fuel was cheap, industry was, everything right. was cheap, made sense maybe to do a certain thing. And when times change, that doesn't mean be so stuck in your ways because it's what you've always done. Yeah. You, you'd have to do it, be willing to change. Yeah. 70 years ago, you know, land could be purchased or rented for one tenth mm-hmm. or less yeah. what it is today. You could buy a brand new pickup for $5,000. Mm-hmm. You know, f- f- I, this is 50 years ago. I might've said 70, but in the 1970s, 50 years ago, yeah. it was a different world. You know, I could, mm-hmm. I could, I was uh, buying gasoline for 25 to 35 cents a gallon. And uh, all of the things that a lot of the average producer is doing today was built around that that uh, that time period mm-hmm. that time period is gone you know we've we've got to change to be above average I, I wonder you know one of the probably the worst diversifications that I can think of is small producers who instead of doing what they need to do to make money and be, and become a big producer they keep holding on to a, a, a full-time usually off-farm job. Mm. If there's any one thing that keeps young farmers and ranchers from succeeding, to, you know, big success, that's going to be what it is. You know, they're they've got themselves spread too thin to do a good job. Their their farm or ranch becomes just a a hobby that has a little bit of life weekend lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So you know, to me that that's that's the worst diversification is trying to make money on the farm or ranch when all of your income is really coming from somewhere else. Yeah. Well, it, it gives you an out on why it's not profitable. It doesn't force you to make the decisions that you need to make to be profitable. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. And I, I hear that. I see that all the time, you know, in, in today's world, you know, you can stop what you're doing. I mean, you, you need to start looking around and say, okay, what do I need to do to expand my farm or ranch? And in most cases, I mean, you can find land to rent or you can, uh, to take one of Doug's or, or Wally's sell by marketing schools. I mean, you don't need a very big place. You just need a set of facilities mm-hmm. and uh, 10 acres to make a million dollars doing what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, that gets you started in agriculture like no other. But if you, if you just keep doing the same thing and you're losing money at it, you're never going to quit your uh, off farm job. No, that's the truth. Oh, this has been good. Do you have any other thoughts or anything you wanted to share on this topic of diversification? Uh, diversification. Yeah, in in my uh, my PCC update two weeks ago, where I started out with this diversify diversification article, I shared uh, an experience with a little restaurant that uh, we were was our favorite restaurant in the mm-hmm. town of Westcliff, and since then I've thought of a better example. Uh, but my, I'll go back to the the first example, you know, the, in a tourist town, mountain tourist town that depends on, uh, tourist traffic, a restaurant that depends on tourist traffic, it's a tough business. And, you know, most of those restaurants in that town, they're, you know, the locations stay the same, but the owner management and ownership changes every year. You know, very few of them will last five years. And, and the reason it's just a tough business to be in. 
And th this little restaurant here was very small. They were based around serving a decent wine and, you know, a decent sandwich to go with that. You know, they didn't have a long menu or anything else, but she, she would, uh, every time another restaurant would move in, like the owner of this little restaurant, the wine mine, it was called, she would, she could tell you right away if this business was going to last a year or, hmm. or fail. And the reason she could do that was she'd just look at their menu. And uh, if the new restaurant management was going to try to be all things to all people, she says they won't last. But if the new restaurant focused on one or two things and did it very well, basically what she was doing, you know, there was a really good chance they would last. And, and that made me think of another restaurant. There's five restaurants called Quincy's in five little mountain towns in Colorado. And uh, I've only eaten there once, but your, your, you know, your menu consists of what size filet do you want? You know, you don't, there's no hamburgers, there's no, no shrimp, no, you know, the, the, the only thing on the rest uh, menu is a filet. You can get a six ounce, nine ounce, 12 ounce, wow. 15 ounce <laughs> with your filet that, you know, that's a four yeah. different prices. With every filet, you get a baked potato that's uh, loaded with everything. You get a wedge salad, lettuce wedge salad, and you get uh, a roll or, or some hot bread. You know, that's uh, not very many people don't want or don't like mm -hmm. a, a filet. You know, they, they, they can minimize their staff. They can minimize a lot of things because they're only doing one thing and they're doing it very well. And I, you know, I, I think that's a, a good example. You know, if they, if they didn't know how to cook a good steak, yeah. that's a different story. You know, no, they're not going to last very long. Yeah. No, I like that. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I, I don't know if maybe it's just my mind or something. People, <clears throat> I'm, I'm thinking I work for the Sustainable Farming Association. I spent a lot of time looking at the soil health principles. And one of those principles are diversification and in soil health, more plant species and things is important. And the more diversification of different species and plant types, the, the better. And there's going to be advantages to diversification. But I just think overall, this is a good point from a business perspective that especially early on, if you try to spread yourself across too many enterprises too quickly, I think it can be a dangerous thing for your business. And I, I thought it was a good point you yeah. made in that update and a good point you shared today. So I appreciate you doing that. And if you have anything else to add, I'll, I'll let you. I think in nature, diversification is good. That's what it should be. You know, in nature, you don't see monocultures. Uh, monocultures almost always lead to some some problem somewhere down the road but in a business I don't you know I, I can see some people making money diversifying I can see most people breaking even and doing a lot of things and uh, that's not really my what I would want to spend my time mm -hmm. doing is breaking yeah. even great point yeah if people want to uh, reach out, find any more information about you or your updates or your newsletters and stuff, where, where should they go? Pharaohcattle.com. Uh, There's probably several places there to sign up for our weekly emails. And, uh, you know, once, once you start receiving our weekly emails, you're going to be exposed to these, <laughs> these weird ideas that we keep coming up with. But uh, I, you know, I, uh, again, my, my goal in life is to push, average farmers and ranchers to the point that they make the changes they need to make to be profitable. 
and to be, you know, have an enjoyable life and a, and a business that can be passed on to the next generation. You know, so that, that's the type of information you're going to get every week from us mm-hmm. uh, if you do sign up for our weekly emails. Awesome. All right, Kit, thanks so much for coming on and we'll talk to you again sometime soon. All right. Thanks, Jared. The Herd Quitter Podcast is brought to you by Farrow Cattle Company, whose mission is to help ranchers put more fun and profit into their business. You can get more information on Farrow Cattle Company at farrowcattle.com. And if you enjoy what you've heard on this podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Herd Quitter Podcast or at herdquitterpodcast.com.